Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In My Drafts. Today's episode is very special because it's the first episode where I have a guest host. So today I have my brother Miguel, who is staying at home with me as we all continue to experience the pandemic that is COVID-19. So while we're stuck inside, we figured this was a great opportunity to make the most of it and come on here to talk a little bit about our Hispanic heritage. We're going to share what it was like growing up in Northern Virginia with our Latino culture still very present in our lives. And we're also going to to share some of our memories visiting our home countries throughout our upbringing. This is a way for us to reminisce on our childhood and to share our personal experiences that perhaps some of you out there can relate to if you grew up with immigrant parents too. We hope you enjoy. All right, so first I'm just going to have Miguel introduce himself and then we're going to dive into a little bit about our family history. So Miguel, say hi to my friends out there. Hello, Andrea's friends. My name is Miguel. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yes, they can all see you right now. Um, so, Miguel, why don't you just tell them who you are, how old you are, some fun fact about you, what you like to do, anything you want. Um, well, I'm 25 years old. Um, I am obviously Andrea's brother. Um, <laughs> younger I really brother. like, yes, younger brother. <laughs> Um, one of my hobbies are football. Love, I love football. Watching football, playing football. Um, I also like watching movies at the movie theater with my girlfriend. Shout she out really, to Michelle. yeah, shout out to Michelle too. <laughs> she got me back into liking movie theater experiences. Um, I like playing video games. I like playing Xbox. Yes, he does. Um, Lots of it too. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I also like working out too. So I got a good balance. Good life balance. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was a little bit about Miguel. And now we're just going to dive into talking about where our parents are from. So Miguel, you want to start off? Yeah. Our mom is from Bolivia and our dad is from Peru. Mm -hmm. um, born and raised there. Mm -hmm. And they uh, eventually in their early 20s moved over to to the great state of Virginia. Yep. Stay USA, baby. Uh, so they met at church and then a few years later got married and had Miguel and I. So it's just us two. Um, and yep, we grew up here in Northern Virginia. Um, our whole lives, our parents worked really hard to give us a comfortable life. Um, they sent us to private school. Miguel hated going to school. <laughs> Oh, no, it was not fun. No. I hated waking up early. Um, they, our parents even, like, paid for tutoring when we were growing up. Um, I actually learned Spanish first at home, so I needed, I remember needing help um, with catching up on English when I was, like, in first grade. It was, like, a program called Hooked on Phonics, where they actually had, like, a teacher come to our house. You probably don't remember this, Miguel, because we were still in our townhouse. But mm -hmm. um, someone would come and help me with some basic English, and then everything was fine. So, yeah, I have no memories of that at all. Yeah, Miguel is too little. Um, but yeah, we've always grown up here in uh, Northern Virginia, where they're actually we came to find out as we grew up that um, there were big communities of other Bolivians and other Peruvians living around here. So one of the ways that we noticed that a lot was in the food nearby. So we had lots of times when we would go out to Bolivian restaurants, 
Miguel has a couple favorite dishes that he could mention about Bolivian food. Specifically Bolivian food? Yeah. What do you like about Bolivian food? Um, or what plates do you like? Well, of course, I like I like the pique lo macho, mm-hmm. which is pretty much just chopped up hot dogs, french fries, and meat, and tomatoes and onions. Mm-hmm. With some rice? Um, no, there's no rice. rice. No, it oh, doesn't come with rice. It's confused. just purely that, um, okay. those ingredients. So pique lo macho, mm-hmm. that's a great and one. And I also like salteñas. <clears throat> chicken or beef. Yeah, those are my favorite. One. So salteñas, for those of you guys who don't know, are pretty much meat pies. Um, but the bread on the outside is like this sweet, soft dough. And the inside is very juicy. It's got your meat of choice, like Miguel mentioned. You can usually beef or chicken. And then what else does it have, Miguel? Like I think if you potatoes. just described it as an empanada, people Okay, would, true. Like, like a, a fat empanada. Yeah, like a fat, juicy empanada. Yeah. That's true. Would, yeah probably understand that better than meat pie true <laughs> i guess now most people know what empanadas are uh-huh. but back then people didn't so or empanadas, empanadas you however you want to pronounce it <laughs> um so that's a little bit of um, our like typical go-to bolivian foods and then peruvian food that's been something that's been growing i think a lot in terms of not just latinos but like even americans mm-hmm. particularly peruvian chicken so we actually just had that now. Big time. For dinner. Yeah, we actually just had that. Yeah. So um, we always refer to Peruvian chicken as pollo rico. It literally means like tasty or delicious chicken. chicken. Yeah. I think it was because the place that we would always go to originally was a place called pollo rico. It was. For our charcoal We used to chicken. go there for years. Yeah. So Peruvian chicken is a very basic staple. But then in Peruvian food, you'll also find a lot of seafood. This is where it differs from Bolivian. Even though Peru and Bolivia have a lot of similarities in terms of their culture um, and in the indigenous cultures, um, in their foods, you'll see a lot more seafood used um, in Peruvian food. So one of my favorites is ceviche, um, which I think has become more popular now. But there's all kinds of ceviches. There's types that come from Central America, which maybe are a little more heavy on tomatoes versus um, the ones that I like, of course, have to be Peruvian. Um, There's also a soup that I love called chupa de camarones, which is like a very heavy stew with um, shrimp. Yeah, I'm not much of a fan of that one. Yeah, you're not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you also don't really like shrimp that much, though. No. Or seafood in general. True that. Except for crab cakes. Except for crab cakes. I like crab cakes. That's pretty good. (laughs) So that's a little bit about um, Bolivian and Peruvian food. And then another thing that we noted with growing up, um, just really seeing that Latino influence in our upbringing, was growing up super close to our cousins, particularly on our mom's side, because, well, they're all kind of around our age, right? We all kind of ranged from, I don't know, within 10 years of each other, kind of spread out, right, Miguel? Yeah, they, uh, (laughs) mom and her sisters really had good timing when it came to Having, having their, their kids children, because yeah. that. <laughs> that really that was like a big factor in helping yeah. us, um, you know, get along with each other, and you know, obviously have more things in common at, around the same times and stages of our lives. So totally, that like totally set us up for success. Yeah, and something that I've always noticed and appreciated was uh, mom and all of her first cousins in Bolivia all grew up literally like in the same neighborhood or 
close to their houses. Um, so they all grew up getting together all the time. So I think they really wanted to keep that alive in our generation with us getting together with our cousins all the time. Yeah, they must have planned when to head all of us. <laughs> yeah. I don't I know how so. they did that. <laughs> I don't know either, but it worked out well because um, for literally every type of celebration, we'd always get together with our cousins for like birthdays, all the holidays, all of the first communions and confirmations. Like we would see them all the time. And we still do now, even though we're all getting older. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all the cousins are now in our, their 20s. Yeah, we're all in our 20s now. Which is crazy. Yeah, it's kind of nice, though. We still get together. Um, so, yeah, so our upbringing was just very um, blessed uh, and very connected to um, our Bolivian and Peruvian cultures. And partly, well, not partly, a big part of that is because Miguel and I got to go back to Bolivia every two to three years. Um, we were very lucky in that my mom's job had a really nice benefit that would send us all back to visit her home country. So because of that, we mostly visited Bolivia, but we did a few times, actually just three times, um, go back to Peru as well. So Miguel, you don't really remember very much about visiting Lima, right? No, not aside from the time when we went when I was 13. Yeah. That was like the only time I remember. Yeah. I have a couple of memories of earlier than that. I remember, I think it might have been, I don't know, maybe the first time that I went to Peru. Um, we were in the beach and I just have this really foggy memory of being almost taken by the waves of the sea and my dad pulling me out with one arm. And actually, I think you were there too, Miguel, and he was trying to keep you stable with his other arm. So you were also kind of... We were both in the water at the same time with yeah, him. Yeah. There was like this big wave that came. What was mom doing? I think she was on the beach. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know. But uh, I remember that because I was really scared. And then um, afterwards, I recovered on the beach and ate a very sandy apple. That's what I remember. No, so but, you had an apple after. Yes, after I don't know why I particularly remember that memory. But <laughs> maybe they gave you the apple to help you forget about your traumatic experience. Probably they're like, take this apple. Don't ever remember this. But um, no, the most memories, of course, was the last time we went. So Miguel was thirteen and I was almost sixteen, I think. Um, and this time we actually, it was a combination of going to Peru and then crossing by land to Bolivia. So that was different because we had never done that before. We always like flew everywhere. So, mm -hmm. um, I remember crossing the border was like a whole ordeal because first I think we took a plane to a nearby city to the border and then we took a taxi to the border and then to cross the border physically, we had to get into this little tuk-tuk thing. Do you remember that, Miguel? Yeah. It was, it was so like, weird. uh, wasn't it horse drawn? I don't know. Or was it long no, drawn? No, it was not long <laughs> no, drawn. Oh yeah, it was a guy in a bike. Yes. I was going to say yeah, it was a guy in a bike, Miguel. There was no horses. There was no llamas. I, I thought it was like... <laughs> Classic, like traditional transportation. No, but it was pretty like bumpy. And we were like, Does, is this really necessary right now? I, mean, like, I thought it was kind of cool border like this? having a guy take us on a bike. I actually recorded it. I've never it. done this. So. I had a little camcorder. I need to I find have a that picture footage. of it. Oh, well, that was a good time. <laughs> but yeah, we crossed that via Tuk Tuk and then continued on a taxi ride into La Paz, which was also quite a trip. Um, because for those of you who don't know, La Paz is a very highly elevated city. Um, so that drive there was a little rough for people with um, prone to altitude sickness like Miguel, which uh, leads us to talking about all of the times we went to Bolivia and had to arrive particularly to La Paz's airport called El Alto. El Alto is actually the world's 
most um, elevated airport in the world. I had to look this up, but apparently it's 6,438 meters high. So Miguel, you want to talk about above sea level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Miguel, you want to talk about a little bit about what the experience is arriving to El Alto? Oh yeah. (laughs) I can remember plenty of times where I would be feeling lightheaded and kind of uh, have a stomach ache Mm -hmm. whenever we would land in the airport. (laughs) I remember one particular instance that like pretty much dry heaved in the corner (laughs) while we were waiting (laughs) for immigration. Um, Thankfully I didn't full on puke. I just kind of just dry heaved. I think I eventually went to the bathroom. (laughs) But yeah, there's plenty of instances of me getting sick and um, not just from the elevation, but even just from somehow getting exposed to the water and ingesting it got me sick too. Yes. So when you arrive to the airport, they actually have like oxygen tanks ready to go and some medics ready for people who are, you know, most of the time people who are not from there and um, who get hit pretty hard. And like, even when we arrive, there's like, they ha- you have to use the help, uh, whoever's around to like help carry your luggage it's best to do that yeah because this is not a moment where you actually want to like save money on tip you really yeah. should use help there yeah. to it's a great pick opportunity up for them to to make, to make some, some money cash. totally yeah, to totally yeah. and it's like one of those where it's legit like warranted um so whenever we would arrive to this airport our family would obviously be waiting for us ready to go uh, but something really nice and special i think tied to this experience was they always had mate ready like the hot tea, herbal teas. So in, in this case, it was always mate de coca, which is actually the coca leaf. Um, so not really legal in a lot of places. But in Bolivia, it's a, it's really a strong part of the culture where, um, especially the indigenous people, use these coca leaves to help um, as medicinal remedies, um, especially with like stomach issues, or um, it can actually also help suppress hunger and can even help with like teeth problems like toothaches it's like if you little, chew it yeah it's like their own version of over-the-counter medicine yeah. but not really because yeah. they could just grow it they can just grow it <laughs> through that but yeah you find coca mate de coca like sold in ready-to-go tea bags everywhere um so we always have this to kind of help settle the stomach and they always tell us that when you arrive you just have to take it easy no like heavy exercises no heavy food so none of that like salteñas or lomo saltado none of that like you have to be Soup. yeah like you have to be really careful. But don't they don't they do it something to the coca leaf tea bags to like calm it down, or is it just straight, straight up crushed? Up? I have no idea. I mean, the people in the mountains, like legit, the ones who just grow it, straight up pick it up and start chewing it. But <laughs> I'm not sure if they do Curious something. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never looked into it because we just have the ones in the bags, the tea bags. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, who, for anyone who's never been to La Paz, it's a really interesting city. Um, I would highly recommend, uh, going there one day to, um, do a little touring, but it's extremely, um, hilly. I mean, because it's, yeah, because it's like so elevated already, just like a walk up the street can really get you out of breath. Like there's this, uh, particularly, one small hole in the wall sushi place that my cousin found a few years back and I always want to go there but it's like all uphill so my brother always refuses to want to go with me unless we take a taxi even though it's only like what 10 no I I, I made the trip like twice with you guys do remember we had to convince you though I know yeah because the first time of I don't think I knew how just how extreme it was the first time so after the first time I was just like 
you know, you might as well just save yourself the, the shortness of breath and just get a taxi to go up. But, yeah. I mean, it was still a cool experience nonetheless. Yeah. Um, another thing that's kind of changed in the past few years, because um, this wasn't there when we were really little, but the Teleferico system. So that, I guess, would translate to like the cable cars. How long ago? Uh, no, you call like, those gondolas. You can. Gondolas. But they're also kind of like cable cars. Mm -hmm. They're basically gondolas. a hybrid. Yeah. Um, not the gondolas that go in canals. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we actually took, I was uh, looking into the system that they use. I think it, they got it from the Germans, the engineering and everything. Um, like the, the whole concept of it? Yeah. Um, but uh, it's cool because it's another form of transportation and, and it works in this type of city that's like very hilly. And if you want to get up to where the airport is, you have to go like all uphill, right? So if you take these telefericos, you're there in just a matter of minutes. They've like opened mm -hmm. a lot of lines. It's kind of like it's kind of like a metro system mm -hmm. in a yeah, way. Yeah, it's a metro in the air. Yeah. It's pretty much what it is. Um, but it is, from what I know, it, it is a little bit pricey for the daily transportation. Like it saves you a lot of time, but... Um, if you're going to use this on the daily, it can get pretty expensive. It, time is valuable to people, so they're willing to pay up for it. Yeah. I mean, I know I would. Yeah. I would not want to be sitting in traffic. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. No, totally. If I had the money for it, I'd be using it all the time. Yeah. And every time we go, my mom always says that the traffic is getting worse and worse and worse, like compared to obviously like how it was when she grew up there. Mm -hmm. I mean, Which makes the Teleferico that much more appealing. Yeah. It's a really cool experience though. It's it like is. A, it's like a little ride. It's a really it's great. A ride every time. Yeah. It's a really great thing for tourists to do. It's for perfect sure. for sightseeing too. Oh yeah. Especially Daytime at night. And nighttime. Yeah. I like the nighttime the yeah. best. I like it too. That's nice. Um, but yeah, so every time we'd go to La Paz, we would stay at the same house. So our grandparents' house where our mom grew up, um, they still have the same house. It still looks very similar to how it did when she was growing up there. Um, and yeah, our grandparents' names were Mami Irmi and Papi Gook. Papi Gook is actually still living. He is turning 97 this June. So he's still going strong, still living in that house. He's got the good genes. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone getting older has some issues coming on at some point. But, like, in general, he's well enough to be able to still live there and, like, still run his daily life, still go on his walks outside. And it's pretty awesome. Well, with help, though. Yeah, with I mean, help now, point, obviously. Help. Yeah. But, but he's still um, enjoying it, though. But I he like can it. still do it. Yeah. I mean, it's great. So um, whenever we would visit, every time, I think before we kind of complain about this, but now we kind of appreciate it a little more. At least I do. Um, and I'm talking about how many, like, lunches and tea times and dinners you have every time you go to visit family. So we still have a lot of aunts and it's uncles crazy. and cousins and great aunts and great uncles. It's a and whole process. It is like we, we go in like expecting to spend at least a good like two or three hours just eating. Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> or having just tea. the whole process of it. Or like, coffee. Yeah. Or well, little coffee is always is always involved. Yes. Yes. And just chatting. And most of the time, or not most of the time, but I think before we like literally would have no clue who some of these people were that we were gonna go visit. <laughs> I think after yeah. so many years, like <laughs> so many people I don't know. Yeah. But apparently not me. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> like, oh Miguelito, I remember yeah. you when you were this big. And the classic, the classic saying. You know what's weird about um the whole like eating process is having coffee at the end, like every time. When typically most people in the U.S. would just have coffee in the morning. Oh, true. But with no, us, yeah. we'd have it like 
any day, any time of the day. Any time of the day, multiple times of the day, especially in the afternoon. I think maybe that's why mom and dad aren't that affected by coffee, like when they drink it at night. Perhaps. They're probably just so used to it. No, that's very true. I mean, they definitely have it in the morning, but then at nighttime, especially after dinner time, you can tell that they want a little bit of coffee. They always say it too. Mm-hmm. They actually gave it up for Lent this season and they're having a tough time. <laughs> but they're they're doing well they're with their tea. Done, yeah. But they they had definitely crave a little bit of coffee. So yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, Miguel and I grew up never being restricted with coffee. Like I remember having coffee on Saturday mornings with the family in my little Pocahontas cup. Do you remember that cup? Vaguely, yeah. It was a little Pocahontas cup. And I'd always have some coffee with milk. And I don't think my growth was stunted. So I didn't know you would have coffee. In oh, yeah. I had coffee growing up. Yeah. yeah. Did you actually like it? I did. Did dad sugar it up for you? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder you liked it. Sugar then. and milk in there, though. You'd like anything with <laughs> some sugar <laughs> in it. That's true. <laughs> no, but I mean, coffee has a bitterness to it. You know, some kids don't like it. But I remember having it even in the townhouse. And I lived in the townhouse before. Like, we moved from there when I was six. So. Yeah, I was four. Yeah. But um, anyway, so yeah, always lots of like little tea times and coffee times and meals and stuff to visit family. But um, I know at least for me, like the older we got, the more I came to appreciate the fact that we have so many people that do care about us. They always give us presents. You can't deny that, Miguel. They always give us presents. They always think about us. They you always the ask about uncles? us. Yeah. Like whenever we visit anyone. Um, so it's kind of become something that's just shown us how family is so important and even if we live in completely different continents, like they're always still, they always still care and like think of you. So that's, that's always been something nice. That um, goes with like mom's friends too. True. Her Bolivian friends or just her Latina friends in general? They're the same way. Oh yeah. When it comes to like the family values. True. Cause you know, Regina still sends me stuff. Oh yeah. But then again, she is my uh, godmother. So True. one of them actually I have two godmothers. <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> For no. those that didn't know. But it's true. It's true. Like um, they're, even if, even if they're not blood related, like the Regina, they're still like, I don't know. They still treat you like your family, which is, which is a nice um, thing to have because I feel like that is something that does differ a little bit from maybe your traditional American society that doesn't really have any ties with anyone other than maybe outside of your direct family unit or like a cousin or something. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, and then to wrap up uh, our experiences in Bolivia, we kind of just picked two particular trips that we did that were outside of La Paz, um, where we got to see a little bit more of Bolivia. Um, So the first one that I thought of was when we went to Yungas, which is um, like a tropical forest along the Andes Mountains. Um, This time when we went there, we specifically stayed in like a really nice small resort that seemed to kind of be like in the middle of a jungle right Miguel like it was, it was really cool like I didn't even know where we were it was in like the mountains <laughs> in the jungle yeah and do you remember that in order to get there I think it was maybe like a six hour ride total but we had to first get out of La Paz which was the winter time it was cold at some point we ended up in some kind of mountains with snow and then end up in this really tropical hot sticky humid especially forest and Mm -hmm. it was only like i don't know like six hours of driving or something maybe not even yeah it was not too bad yeah but i remember the trip being bumpy yeah but uh i mean i expected it we were going through the mountains so yes side note something i've learned with any type of trip that you're making within a latin american country whatever country that may be it's going to be bumpy and for people who are 
or tend to be motion sick or get motion sickness, you're going to have a rough time. <laughs> so probably, yeah. yeah. But I think us like being on so many bumpy rides and stuff in Latin America growing up maybe has like, I don't know, set us up for success in that way. No, oh, I think Who it knows? has a certain charm to it. Maybe. Oh yeah. Wait, something we wanted to mention about bumpy rides, the taxis. Oh yes. The taxis. The taxis were the best. Yes. So the taxis in La Paz, we always kind of have a little running joke with it because they always are bumpy. They always play a certain type of music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called cumbia. So it's a, a popular, probably the most popular music genre in Bolivia, at least, Easily. I would say. Yeah. It's got this, you can't go into a taxi without listening to cumbia. No, it's got this like underlying beat that's like... Yeah, and I swear it's always like at the right level of volume, too. Yeah, and you like bounce with it. Yeah, exactly. I've never heard mom and dad ask the taxi driver to increase or decrease the volume at any time. No, it's always perfect. Yeah, it would always be perfect enough to hear the driver. Perfect. (laughs) But uh, yeah, but sidetracked here. Um, So, Yungas. So, yeah, this little resort. Uh, we went with a couple of our cousins. Um, I remember super, super nice night sky there. Cause again, you're kind of like away from the city, so you can really see the stars out there. And then, uh, something extra that I remembered was that's actually where I had my first alcoholic cocktail. So I had a tequila sunrise. I think I was like 16 and <laughs> had some with, um, with Adrian, our cousin who's a little bit older. Um, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting time. Yeah, as you'd probably expect, of course, uh, I had my fair share of alcohol there too. Mm-hmm. I think I was like uh, 14. 14, 13. Yeah, very different lifestyle there. there. <laughs> I mean, if I was like 13 or 14, that had to have been the same time we went to Peru because didn't we split yes. time between the two? Yeah, I think so. That I had to have right. been the same trip. They're the same year, yeah. And on that trip, uh, we actually got our dog. We bought him in Peru, continued to Bolivia, came back to Peru. To pick him up mm-hmm. and then came back home. Yeah. We um, like reserved him. Yeah. So our, our dog, he's a little miniature schnauzer. Um, we named him Chiquito, which means like little boy or, or little one in Spanish. And for some reason in Bolivia and Peru, miniature schnauzers are everywhere. Like I don't, I've never seen a place where there's that many schnauzers like I have there. Well, they're more popular. Yeah. So anyways, he's still alive and well, living here for... 12 years now, almost. He's almost 12. Isn't that insane? Yeah, next month. Yeah. Next month, he's 12. But um, yeah, and then the last place that we wanted to talk about um, in Bolivia is a very special place and more touristically known, and it's called Salar de Uyuni. So this is the world's largest salt flat. If you look it up, you'll see amazing pictures because basically what happens is in the rain season, which I think is around January or February, um, the rain will fall and then it'll just sit on top of these large, like, well, I don't know, huge, just salt everywhere. Land. It's just sitting on the salt. Salt. So it'll just sit on top of it and then basically creates what they call the world's biggest mirror effect. So on a really nice, like, cloudy well kind of half cloudy day where you can see the blue sky as well um you'll see this beautiful reflection of what looks like you're walking on heaven that's what people say or Mm -hmm. a lot of photographers at least that will go there um so miguel and i were really lucky in that we got to go there um was it the last time we visited bolivia or two times ago Two times ago. It was two times ago. It was just Miguel and I, actually. It was a trip that we did to Bolivia and um, Brazil. And we were only in Bolivia for a few days. 
but we got to travel out to uh, the Salar de Uni and spend one night there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the salt palace. Mm-hmm. It was a salt palace. It was mm-hmm. Everything was made of salt, like the walls, the furniture. Of course, they put like padding on there, but like it, it was so weird. I was like, do we test it? Do we lick the wall? Yeah, um, our beds were made out of it too. Yeah, it was so interesting. <laughs> That's not to say the mattress. I mean like the right, right, like foundation the, yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, legit, like was kind of like being in the middle of a desert, but a salt desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was easily one of my uh, favorite places to visit, but it would have been even better if, um, you know, it was rainy season. Yeah. And would it, uh, if I was able to like see that mirror for myself, that would have been awesome. Yeah. That but been it was cool. really cool though. I do remember um, it taking a while to get across the lake to visit like the little pueblos in there, mm. which are like little towns that are just settled at the foot of some of the mountains there. Mm-hmm. Man, it would take us like an hour and a half, two hours to just go to the next place. Yeah. And keeping in mind that we would literally drive straight there with like no roads, like no traffic. Like you're just driving yeah, it's just you on and the lake. Salt, like a salt desert pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, so imagine if there was like traffic, how long that would take. But uh, yeah, we, we were lucky in that we had a tour guide for like most of the day to take us around from spot to spot. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like a random patches of like cacti and then uh, oh, couple- we also saw flamingos yeah they were like right flamingos. outside the, the little village we, Hanging we visited out. you yeah. remember visiting the village i do it, it seemed kind of deserted <laughs> it was <laughs> but, uh, that day it seemed deserted. i was like how do people live out here like, maybe, maybe most of the people were out like in the mountain area I don't going know. out to do something maybe i don't know i don't remember if it was a weekend or what but um yeah random flamingos here and there with some patches where there was like actually water seeping through like it wasn't just salt um there was a salt museum where there was some like, uh, what am I looking for? Structures like carved out of salt or yeah, statues. Sculptures. That's what I'm looking for. Sculptures. sculptures. Yes. There was actually a miniature Snazzer sculpture too. Was there? Yeah. I don't remember seeing it. I remember because I had just recently looked through my picture or pictures again for that. Um, but yeah. Oh, that's right. I Didn't we, didn't we, we stop by that place? Like, yes. Wasn't that by the big sign that um, was the sign the for car? a different area? No, the, there was a sign made out of um, salt that was for like the Dakar. No, it wasn't made out of salt. It uh, was like a different race. material. Oh. It was like rock or wood or some of the combination of that. I don't remember. Yeah, it, I'm pretty sure it was right next to the place where all those dogs were that you mentioned. Hmm. We like visited the, the inside. It was basically just like a long circular or square building, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, a like it. an igloo almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of structures in there. Um, yeah. And then what else? There was a little spot that we stopped at for lunch that had a bunch of flags from like different parts of the world and cacti. And then that's where I tried llama meat. I think you said you actually tried it. Mm-hmm. I, I did. I, I had like that. a bite or two of yours. Chicken. Yeah, I had chicken. I settled for chicken. The llama meat, to be fair, it tasted like a drier chicken. It was like, it was okay. I thought it tasted pretty good. Yeah, it was fine. But I would choose chicken <laughs> any other day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, another really cool night sky there. Um, again, you're so far away from the city. Um, it was a beautiful, a beautiful uh, isolated experience of, um, I think our internet was pretty bad too. So we just pretty much had to like entertain ourselves. You mean in the, in the palace area? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do actually. I remember having some troubles with the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a good way to disconnect. Um, if you're someone who's really into photography or just really like having a travel experience that involves you kind of getting out of the city and seeing something really unique, Salar de Uni would definitely be a good spot to go to to spend maybe one to two nights there. Um, but I would recommend probably a tour 
some kind of tour guide or something. For sure. You, Otherwise, I'm pretty sure that's the only way you can really do yeah, it. Yeah, you, you just need to be like signed anywhere. up with a tour because you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. Right. Right. It's too much Salt Lake to cover. Right. Okay, so yeah, that was a little bit about um, our experiences going to South America, more so to Bolivia, because you know we've been there more. Um, mm-hmm. But we wanted to kind of wrap this up with just saying a couple of things that we love about our Latino culture and um, how it's impacted our lives. So I wanted to start with um, saying, I think I mentioned this before, but um, the importance that family has for us is something that I will never take for granted. Um, We have family all over the world, um, particularly on my mom's side that kind of expanded everywhere. And even though we're all super far away from each other, it's amazing to see how connected we still are with them, obviously with the help of like social media and technology these days. But um, something I love is that you just always know that family is going to have your back. They're always going to be there for you. They're always going to help you out. They're always going to love you, even if you don't see them for like years and years on end. Um, so family has always been super, super important, um, not just for Latinos. I think many cultures out there, but um, it is something that um, I think is really, really cool and special about um, our Latino heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um it's something that that I would love about, um, or that I've been loving about being Latino, is the food for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned uh, to Andre before, but uh, Peru definitely has some of the best food that you could ever have. Um, yes, it's, it's world, world recognized for it, it which we are not biased. It actually is <laughs> world uh, renowned, and uh, yeah, Peru, Peru has some pretty good stuff. Oh yeah, you, I, I would go out of my way to have some anytime. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. Yeah. We always kind of joke um, that we think our dad has um, really particular taste for food and is uh, on the pickier side because mm-hmm. he just has really high standards. He has a palate that is used to excellence in taste. <laughs> so <laughs> spoiled um, him. Yeah. That's something we always kind of joke about in our family. <laughs> um, but yeah, Peruvian food for sure is, is a good quality food. Yeah. Can't go wrong with like mm-hmm. Latino food in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I really love about being Latino is how present music is in our lives, music and dance connected together and, and how that really enhances how we celebrate life and how we live and, and express joy. And it's always everywhere, um, parties or even at home on a chill Saturday morning. I know Miguel, you were, um, mentioning before to me that, um, you have many Saturday mornings where you would wake up and mom would be uh, playing some loud music in the house. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a normal occurrence. Mm-hmm. I had to get used to it. Yeah, but, <laughs> and that was just what she would do. Her, um, she and dad would dance sometimes together. It was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she'd dance with Chiquita too. Oh yeah, her little dog. She still does <laughs> with our dad and mm-hmm. our dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. So music, music has always been something big. <clears throat> can't get away from it. Um, yeah. And then I guess, uh, lastly, just, um, for me, how big of a deal birthdays are. So the whole idea of, again, celebrating life, someone's life in particular, like you will never go to a chill birthday party here. It's always like, it's always lots of, yeah, <laughs> lots of food. There's always a cake. You sing twice, at least for us, we'll mm-hmm. always sing happy birthday in English and in Spanish. Um, 
like you can't miss a birthday celebration here. There's always yeah. one to be had. Yeah, growing up it was the best. We would always be together growing up. Yeah. But lately, you know, we're not all living in the same state. So growing up was always like a big party. So it was very nice. Yeah. Now we try our best, at least when, you know, reuniting with our cousins and our aunts, the people that we usually celebrate birthdays with, we try our best to have whoever is around to be able to come back and celebrate mm-hmm. birthdays. Um, yeah. But that was always a big deal. Yeah. And uh, something else that I love about being uh, Latino would be the culture itself. I mean, I just love being able to kind of dive into my roots mm-hmm. and um, learn more about where mom and dad came from, all the backgrounds. And, um, you know, it's just something that I might as well learn more about as I, as yeah. I grow because it's always going to be a part of me. So Yeah. And then uh, I also plan on, you know, passing it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I would have to do, right? Yeah, it's important. We would love to be able to um, go to Peru and 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 tour Peru more, um, especially with everyone being able to go to Machu Picchu and to Cusco. Like we're Peruvian, and yet we yeah. haven't. Yeah, we haven't had the experience of going there, and even with visiting Lima, like we don't really know much about it. So um, we would love to go there, despite Miguel maybe not loving traveling as much as I do. Uh, but he, I think he'd be down for for a trip to Peru at least for the purposes of um, seeing some really cool places that are also tied to us personally. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. We're wrapping it up. Um, This was a longer episode, but it was uh, one where we're just kind of experimenting with seeing how this goes with a guest host. I think this was a fun way to start it off in the comforts of our home. Um, Yeah, I was like, you're you're queen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, my queen. (laughs) So in Spanish, it means guinea pig. Queen. Yes, you were my little guinea pig. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Miguel, do you have anything you want to say or add? Yeah, it was very, very um, personal one for us. And we hope that you learned something new about Bolivia and Peru through our experiences. Yeah, so um, I look forward to making more episodes with guests like Miguel once this pandemic has passed, of course. And until next time, stay tuned and stay safe. <laughs>